2: today I pray that you cling to Jesus I pray that you know him and all that he is if you've never met him I pray that you meet him today and you experience the change that he gives but if you are his child I pray that today you walk away committed to holding on to Jesus And so, you're creating Jesus in your image, because Jesus must want me to be able to check off the knowledge box. Yes, he wants you to be a lifelong learner. Scripture teaches that. You should read. You should get in the Word. You should grow. But understand, ultimately, you will never solve spiritual problems with human solutions. So, When someone is discouraged or or perhaps feeling depressed, what's the first thing we do? The first thing we do is open God's Word. And say, Is there any help? Is there any hope from God's Word? Have you taken these to Jesus? Like the old hymn says, Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Is there a sin issue that needs to be confessed? And then when we've done all that, Just like we would if we had a physical illness, it's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to someone. You may need to go to a doctor, but always start with Jesus. We see this in evangelical circles today in a different way. It's a theological pride that begins to look at others who may interpret some points of Scripture and secondary or what we would call tertiary issues as they're not as good as us. I'd never go to that church because of what they think about this. Or the false claim that I often hear from people through 30 years of ministry, whatever church they're a part of, it's just not deep enough for me. Let me tell you, I've spent a lifetime around professing Christ followers. The problem is not what we know. I know you don't want to amen that, so let me say that again, and I'll amen it. The problem is not what we know. Amen. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience. It's not the truth we know that changes us. It's the truth we obey. More knowledge is not the answer. Philosophy, psychology, even the obsessive study of theology. Know what you believe. Understand the scriptures, but understand that knowledge is not the end all. But there's more. We don't need Jesus plus human wisdom, and we don't need Jesus plus human action. Look at verse 16. Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What is he addressing? Well, first he addressed rationalism. Now he's addressing legalism. Those that thought, yeah, I like Jesus, but I guess I've got to follow all these rules for God to really like me. I can't touch these foods, or I can't drink these drinks, or I've got to go to these festivals in this way. And Paul was saying, you don't need deputy Jesus policing what you do. You don't need deputy Jesus policing what you do. Legalism teaches that your spiritual well-being is based on external behavior. But this is not right. In fact, that's what separates Christianity from every other world religion. Do you understand that? In Islam, if you follow the five pillows of Islam, you're going to be okay. In Buddhism, if you follow the noble eightfold path, you're going to be okay. In Hinduism, everything's a God, so everybody's okay. You can have some elements of the Catholic faith that says if you just go through the motions, if you go to mass, if if you confess, then you'll be okay. You can even find that in a Baptist church. If you go to Sunday school and, and you go to church and you put something in the offering plate and you have good attendance, or if you walk down an aisle or pray a prayer, you're dipped or dunked. But Paul says, don't get caught up in that. Some of those come along. They're outward expressions of the inner reality that we have. When I have Jesus, I'm going to pursue holiness. When I have Jesus, I'm going to obey his commands. I'm going to not forsake the assembling of myself together, for example. But those are outflows of what I have inwardly. Our faith is not based on what we do, but what he's done. our only hope of righteousness is in him. Remember, we read this verse a moment ago, Colossians 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. We're only righteous because God nails our sins to the cross. And you and I have to decide today if that's enough. It begins with unbelief. That's the first sin we have to deal with. You know what it says about Jesus? It says that when he died on the cross, unbelief was nailed to the cross. But there are other things. Some of you are struggling with addiction, and it's got a hold on you. You've never been able to be what God wants you to be because of this, and it's because you're trying to resolve this in your own strength, and you've not really understood that your addiction was nailed to the cross. That's not you. How about the Baptist one? Yeah, it's in Scripture. Gluttony. Because gluttony is just another form of addiction. You're just trying to medicate yourself to to have your needs met by what you're putting inside. Still not you? We've all fallen short on this one. We lie. Maybe not the big ones. We even make a name for it. We call it a little white lie. Or we just don't trout the complete truth. Or maybe to our employer, we just take a little time. Or maybe it's greed. How's this one manifested? <laughs> well, here's a way to know. Have you acknowledged? that everything you have is a gift from God and are you using your life to steward those resources as he commanded if not the bible has a name for that it calls it greed there's lust lust of the eyes No to the cross. Maybe the root of all of our sin, pride. I can do it. I can handle it. No to the cross. You've been unfaithful to a spouse. You're involved in premarital sexual relationships, immorality. Now to the cross. You getting the point? Oh, I forgot I got a lot of church people here today. Because the Bible talks about sins of omission as well as sins of commission. So maybe you're like me and your prayer life really isn't what it should be. Now to the cross. You didn't spend time in the word this week. nailed to the cross. What that scripture said is that he canceled our sin debt. Do you understand that? Jesus the Christ canceled our sin debt, and he did that by nailing it to the cross. What in the world do you think you can add to that? Jesus plus legalism. It's not the answer. Stop trying to earn what you've already been given. But there's more. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. (laughs) I really like this one. You don't need hippie Jesus. You don't need hippie Jesus telling you how to feel. It's a big one today. Paul was addressing mysticism. So he's addressed rationalism, legalism, mysticism, experientialism, the emphasis on how you feel. And this is how this is manifest today. You're not really a Christian if you don't feel this way. If when we sing that song, you don't get those Holy Ghost bumps. Then you must not really be a Christian. Or, oh, you haven't spoken in tongues yet. You must not really be a Christian. You don't hear God audibly. You must not be a Christian. You don't have a vision or a dream regularly. You must not be a Christian. You don't share a prophetic word. You must not be a Christian. Your relationship with God is not based on how you feel, it's not based on an experience, it's based on a covenant. You had a debt that you could never pay. You were headed to a Christless eternity in hell with me. But he took our sins and he nailed them to the cross. And he made a covenant with the blood of Jesus Christ that no matter what we do, he holds on to us. I'm grateful that he made me feel. I'm grateful that I can express emotion that my voice has highs and lows, that my eyes sometimes leak, that my heart sometimes pound. I embrace my feelings, but my faith is not based on how I feel. No more than my commitment to my lovely wife is based on how I feel on a particular day. It's based on my commitment to God and my covenant with her. You don't need hippie, Jesus. And, And some of you are caught up in this. And everything's good as long as you feel good. Well, guess what? You're going to wake up one day and you're going to feel like a word I'm not going to say. Because that happens. But when we encounter Jesus, he reaches our heart and our mind. One more warning, let me read it from verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste. do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of, of the flesh you don't need dr jesus phd you don't need deputy jesus you don't need hippie jesus and you don't need monk jesus what does a monk do not being disparaging but what does a monk do a a monk withdraws from society denying themselves of everything as if to express that that's going to make them closer to god Now, the Bible does talk about certain periods of denial, and it has a name for that. It's called fasting. There should be seasons in our life when we fast from those things that we feel like we need in order to get that which we need more. But asceticism is a severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. Denial. You're not spiritual enough unless you do without certain things. So, in an extreme way, this is seen by people around the world that even today will take a whip and and beat themselves with a the whip. There are others that will wear a belt with nails in the belt so that their body feels the pain as they move. Because to cause this pain may somehow remind them of Christ and cause them to be more holy. Here's the problem. All of these things, Dr. Jesus, Deputy Jesus, Hippie Jesus, Monk Jesus, you know what they all have in common? They all say that Jesus is not enough. And What does the Bible say? The Bible says that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In Jesus you have complete salvation. In Jesus you have complete victory. In Jesus you have complete forgiveness. In Jesus you have complete sufficiency. In Jesus you have everything you need. You don't need Jesus plus wisdom. You don't need Jesus plus actions. You don't need Jesus plus an experience or feelings. You don't need Jesus plus self-denial. You don't need Jesus plus anything, but you desperately need Jesus. And when you become a follower of Jesus, you get everything he has to offer. Listen to what it says in John 1 16. For from the fullness we have received grace upon grace. Our Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Heirs with Christ? You know what that means? Look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. All things are yours. Ephesians 3 puts it this way You have unsearchable riches in Christ. Guys, we have to decide do we believe this or not? Is Jesus enough or is he not? I can't tell you how often I hear it, but pastor, you don't understand. I don't. I haven't walked in your shoes, but he does. He promises that he's enough. All that is in Christ is yours. And in Christ, that's enough. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs says, God the Father is infinitely satisfied in Christ. He is all in all to him. Surely, if Christ is an object sufficient for the satisfaction of the Father, much more than is he an object sufficient for the satisfaction of any soul. If God is satisfied in Jesus, shouldn't we be satisfied in Jesus So, I would just ask, humbly, I would ask, if in, in your life, as you evaluate these kinds of things, if, if Jesus has not been enough, isn't it worth at least asking if you've truly trusted Jesus? Not if you've been religious Not if you try to make good moral decisions, but if you've truly trusted in what he did from the cradle to the cross for you, because you could never do it on your own. Jesus is supreme, and Jesus is sufficient. As I was thinking about this message, this chorus just came over and over and over again in my mind. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. But yes, you desperately need Jesus. So many of our songs express this, but one of my favorites have these lyrics. You are my strength when I am weak. You're my treasure that I seek. You're my all in all. Seeing you precious as a jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all, taking my sin, my cross, my shame. Rising again, I bless your name. You're my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I'm dry, you fill my cup. You're my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, Worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. I ask you today to cling to Jesus, to be satisfied in who he is, to evaluate whether you're spending your time and spending your wills worshiping a Jesus you want, Versus the Jesus who is. Homer and Langley Collier were the sons of a respective New York doctor. They both received college educations, very well educated. They were set for life, but then their father died. And then they were truly financially set. They were left his estate in which they both lived. But they chose to seclude themselves From society, they boarded up the windows of the house. They padlocked the doors. No one was ever seen coming and going from the house, and it it seemed empty. The Collier family had been quite prominent, but almost no one in New York society remembered Homer and Langley Collier by the time World War II ended. On March 21st, in 1947, the police received an anonymous tip. That a man had died inside the boarded up house Unable to force their way through the front door They entered the house through a second story window Inside they found Homer's body His corpse on a bed He died clutching the February 22, 1920 issue of the Jewish morning news Even though he had been blind for many years It was a macabre scene in a grotesque backdrop. These men were collectors. They collected everything, but primarily junk. Their house was full of broken machinery and auto parts and boxes and appliances and folding chairs and musical instruments and rags and assorted odds and ends and bundles of old newspapers. Today, they could be on the show Hoarders. If you get my... Nearly three weeks later, the workmen were still hauling heaps of refuse away, and someone made a grisly discovery. Langley Collier's body, buried beneath a pile of rubbish, six feet away from where Homer had died. Apparently, he had been crushed to death by a crude booby trap that he had made to protect his stuff. Eventually, all the garbage that was removed totaled 140 tons. No one ever learned while they were stockpiling the treasure. But it serves to give us a parable. They lived their lives in unnecessary, self-imposed deprivation. They neglected abundant resources that were at their disposal to enjoy And they turned their home into a dump. And that's what we do when we think we need anything plus
1: Jesus.